You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Aloha and welcome. So grateful that you joined us here this morning. My name is Pastor Riz, the pastor here at Reality, and that was my wife Zoe leading worship uh, as way of introduction. If you didn't know, we have two kids, two Liam, four-year-old boy, and a seven-year-old girl named Eva. And we're just so grateful that we get to be a part of this church family, that God has called us into this. And despite all that's happening, that we can still do this. And I hope that this season um, has reminded us and reminded you and, and proven that the church is not a building, right? The church is a group of people gathered around Jesus. That's why the church is not closed. We're just adapting and being flexible and different and being safe. And we are encountering and gathering around Jesus where we're at with our friends, with our family, and uh, God's still on the throne. And we're just glad that you're here this morning, that you would join us. And before we get into the Word of God, I just wanted to encourage you, whether you've been here a long time or this is your first time, if um, you call this home, this is your church family, I want to encourage you to get plugged in and connected as possible. And again, this takes some effort, right? It isn't as easy as just coming on 10 a.m. to a building and kind of... Um, just going back to kind of the normal way of doing things, this new season kind of takes that effort to reach out and be committed or show up or tune in or go to that Zoom meeting. But I want to just encourage us to, to step out and really get plugged into the life of the church and also just be really mindful of each other in the church, that we would take care of each other, we would call each other, text, check on each other, whatever it is, that we would not see anyone fall through the cracks. And um, in addition to this, there are still some ways that you can tangibly get involved and be plugged in. One that I, I really want to highlight, I mean, they're all important, but is our Tuesday night prayer meeting. Throughout this whole thing, we have had a prayer meeting Tuesday nights via Zoom at 8 p.m. That way parents with kids can maybe hopefully get your kids down and one or both of you guys can join us. I want to encourage you to come, on, uh, come to that Zoom prayer meeting and engage. It doesn't mean that everyone has to pray and we're all, you know, watching out what you're saying. By no means. But there is power when the church gets together and seeks the face of God and moves the hand of God. And we believe from scripture in a key part of who we are as a church is that uh, prayer changes things and it moves the hand of God. And um, if we want to see God come and move, then we got to pray, church. And so I want to just give this as an as exhortation, like six months into this really hard, weird, crazy season, let's not neglect praying together. And so every Tuesday night, you can find all the info at realityhonolulu.com, but come pray with us. And then if you just want to get to know people, if you want to stay connected, cared for, 
uh, have kind of small group gatherings. We have small groups at the church called Ohana groups. And a lot of you guys are already involved and this has been a huge part of our church since the beginning that we desire and we uh, value community. We believe that we're supposed to live life in community with Christ and Ohana groups is that consistent weekly or every other week uh, meeting virtually or in person when it's safe uh, to do that to really find connection, care, and grow in relationship with the Lord and one another. Again, all this info is at realityhonolulu.com. But um, without further ado, let me pray for our time in the Word of God, and uh, then we'll jump in uh, to it. Uh, Pray with me. God, thank you so much for our time in your Word this morning. Thank you that uh, you've just paused us for a second. And God, I do pray that wherever we're watching this from, that you would fill our homes, you would fill the places in which we are watching this with your tangible manifest presence. I pray that for those of us that are just feeling alone or scared or worried or overwhelmed or stressed or whatever it is, that you would meet us and care for us and comfort us now. And as we dig into your word, we ask that you'd have your way with our hearts, that you'd be exalted, that we would be shaped more and more into your image, that we would receive what your word has today, we'd apply it to our life. Holy Spirit, let us become more like you after today. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've been with us, you know for the last few weeks we have stepped out of the book of Acts, uh, primarily because I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted us to dig in to some specific topics or issues that are going on in the world right now. Um, One was politics, and the other is just kind of how to live in the midst of these restrictions. And man, there's so much going on, and there is so many cultural issues and complexities right now in in our world, in our country, in our state, as you know. And so how might we live as Christians in that, with that, for God and his glory in the midst of all that's going on? And so if you missed those uh, last two Sundays, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to those. But today we are getting in back into the book of Acts. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 10. Yes, we're in the double digits, Acts chapter 10, uh, all of 10, and till a little bit into chapter 11 is going to be our text today. So it's kind of a lot, um, but kind of all in the same story here. But I want to remind us where we are, right? The, the book of Acts is the form is telling the formation of the early church it's post jesus rising from the dead and him ascending to heaven we see that the holy spirit falls upon the church and the followers of god these first followers the the first early church goes for it empowered by the spirit and we see that the gospel is spread outside of jerusalem to judea and samaria and we we now are seeing that the gospel is going forth to the ends of the earth and there's 28 chapters in the book of acts but you could say that we now christians now ever since the book of acts was ended we're living in the 29th chapter of the book of acts we are continuing to live for christ empowered by the spirit to see every man woman and child of every tongue tribe and nation um, near and far come to know jesus and so we are part of this Acts story continued but we pick up today 
with Peter and the conversion of Cornelius and this incredible dynamic that happens and the fruit that comes from it. And instead of reading all 60 or so verses in one sitting and then going back, I'm going to kind of do something different today. I don't know if it'll work, uh, but I'm just going to read a, you know, a section of scripture, talk about it go on to the next section, talk about it, dig in, and, and so forth. And then at the end, we're kind of going to look and say, how does this apply? How is this relevant for us today? Right? That's the way uh, that we love to do it here. We like to, what is the word of God saying? What is the incorrect, correct interpretation culturally set, set by the, the authors in that time in history? What is the word of God saying? And how does it apply to us? What does that mean for us going forth? as followers of Jesus also. And so let's go ahead and, and read verses 1 through 8 of chapter 10 of the book of Acts. And I want to just set the stage for the rest of the chapter after we do that. And so let's read here Acts 10 verse 1. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion and what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that happened and sent them to Joppa. Okay, so Cornelius here, he's this, this Roman centurion, um, he is not Jewish, he is a Gentile, but he, but he has been practicing Jewish traditions, he's been praying, um, he says he's God-fearing, but he is Gentile, he is not a Jew. And what we're going to see today, and the reason why I, I, I'm making you know, aware of that, is that for us, it's difficult to grasp, which we'll see, the riff or the chasm in those days between the Jews on one hand and the Gentiles, including even the God-fears, on the other. And the importance or significance of this section will be lost on us unless we understand the cultural, racial, and religious dynamics and tension between Jews and Gentiles. And we're going to see Peter and Cornelius come together and there's going to be this clash and this tension and this amazing lesson, this amazing fruit, this amazing thing that happens in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10. This is a very turning point in the history of the world right now, Acts chapter 10, when it comes to the salvation of Gentile believers. And what is being portrayed and taught to both Peter on a Jewish perspective, and Cornelius on a Gentile perspective, what's being taught to the church here, the early church, and every Christian, including us till now, is that the gospel is for everyone. And right, living 2,000 years in our context now, we might say, of course it is. 
But then and there, this was not a thing. This was a Jewish religion with a Jewish Messiah following Jesus and the traditions of Judaism was reserved for Jews or was favored to Jews. But as we know, prior to this moment in history 2,000 years ago in Caesarea with Peter and Cornelius, we know that the psalmists and the prophets foretold the day when God's Messiah would inherit the nations, not just Israel, but the nations of the world, that the Lord's servant would be their light and all nations would flow to the Lord's house and God would pour out his spirit on what? All humankind, not just one race, not just one ethnicity or not just one nationality uh, of, of a certain group of people, but all humankind. And what we see, though, is that the tragedy that Israel had fallen into was they had twisted being God's chosen people into one of favoritism. And they became, the Jews, even Peter here, had been filled with this racial pride and hatred. And actually Jews, even followers of Jesus that were Jewish, despised Gentiles even so much as to call them dogs. And they developed traditions which actually kept them apart. And examples of this would be that uh, it was even back then, no Orthodox Jew would even enter the home of a Gentile, even a God-fear, or even invite them into their own homes. We see this in verse 28 today. And on the contrary, all familiar um, uh, meetings or anything to do with Gentiles was forbidden. No pious Jew would sit down at the table of a Gentile. It just didn't happen. What, what there was, as, as we set the scene for the rest of the chapter, what was happening and what had happened was that there was this entrenched prejudice that had to be overcome before Gentiles could be admitted into the Christian community on equal terms with Jews. And before the church could fully become what it was intended to be, a truly multiracial, multicultural society. We're going to see this again next week with the church in Antioch. But today we see here that going into this, this interaction that Peter and Cornelius, a Jew and a Gentile, had. There was an entrenched prejudice that Jews had against Gentiles. And what this chapter addresses today is the primary question was, how was God going to deal with Peter? How would he succeed in breaking down Peter's deep-seated racial intolerance? And the principal subject of this chapter, I believe, is not so much the conversion of Cornelius, but actually of the conversion of Peter, the growth of Peter. Uh, we're going to go on and read verse 9, continue the story here, Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 23. It's our section right now. It says, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey, right, these are Cornelius' servants, down to get Peter. And as they were approaching the city, Peter in Joppa went up on the roof to pray. 
he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance or a dream or a vision. And he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 14, surely not, Lord Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still looking about, uh, still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So go up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to them, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. And so, okay, so, so Peter, he has this vision. And Although this vision challenged like the basic distinction between clean and unclean foods, which are very important to Jews, um, and Peter had been brought up to make this clear distinction what foods were clean and unclean, the spirit here related this distinction between clean and unclean food to clean and unclean people and told him to stop making it, making that distinction. And Peter didn't grasp the meaning of this in the moment. But we're going to see just in a little bit in verse 28 that God had shown him that he should not call any man or woman impure or unclean. And so I want to know how perfectly God right here is working on two different people. They're going to come together and there's going to be profound fruit that comes from it. Right? Because While Peter was praying and seeing this vision on the rooftop, the men from Cornelius were approaching the city at the same same moment. And while Peter was perplexed about the meaning of the vision he had seen, they arrived at the house. Right? While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him that the men were looking for him and and he must not hesitate to go with them. And when Peter went down and introduced himself to them, they explained him the purpose of their visit. And so as you can see, God is at work and he's trying to teach Peter something very important about who the gospel and good news is for. For Peter, he had grown up. His tradition, his environment was one that he was to make distinction and favoritism of a certain thing or a certain people over another. And now Peter's been saved. And what God is trying to do is he's trying to use this vision. He's trying to speak to Cornelius. He's send these people. They're going to go now and they're going to meet with Cornelius. And God is going to do some pretty radical things in the heart of Peter and in the heart of Cornelius. Cornelius. 
Our text goes on in verse 23 of Acts chapter 10. It says, the next day, right, Peter started out with them, right, these servants of Cornelius, and some of the believers from Joppa, they went along, right? It's about a day's journey or so. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me, this is key, that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Verse 30, Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. And suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me. And said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for a man who's called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Verse 34 is key. But he accepts every nation, uh, the one who fears him, and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter's were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. Uh, then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Okay. This is pretty incredible. And it starts off just by the way that Cornelius and Peter even meet. Right? As Peter 
enters Cornelius' home, which is already not supposed to happen. Cornelius' act of falling down before Peter, right, wasn't right. Peter wasn't God. Peter wasn't an angel, just like a man like him. But even though that was wrong, so too, according to Jewish tradition, was Peter's act of entering a Gentile home. It was against the law, Peter said. The idea literally translates to it's denoting what is contrary to ancient custom or prescription. But it says there that Peter now felt at liberty, right, to break this traditional, you know, taboo uh, and to enter Cornelius' house because God had showed him that no human being was unclean in his sight. And this is that idea here, that for, for Jews, it was taboo, it was against their custom, it was against their culture and religion and, 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 and status and, and who they were to associate with Gentiles. But God, in that vision, had already showed him that he should not make this distinction. He should break out of that thinking and that he, and that no one, no race, no ethnicity, no culture, no birthplace, would stop the good news, that, that the gospel was for everyone. And what happened is, is that Peter began to communicate the gospel, the good news of who Jesus was, to Cornelius, to his relatives, to the rest of the Gentiles in that room. And what Peter does is he starts out in verse 34 by this really you know, solemn personal statement that he had just learned through his experiences on these, on these previous days. And he says, first, before I begin to speak to you, I, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. That word literally there says, uh, means showing no partiality. But Peter's statement here, however, has a wider connotation. He's really communicating to the Jews that were with him, to the Gentiles in the room, that all that were listening, that God's attitude towards people, his heart towards people, was not determined by any external criteria such as their appearance, race, nationality, or class. But instead, God accepted people, people from every nation who fear him and do what is right. The idea here that this entire chapter is getting at is that there was no racial barrier to Christian salvation. And what Peter does is he preaches this, this sermon he, about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And in verse 43, he says, Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This everyone includes Gentiles as well as Jews. And so this phrase crashes through this barrier of race and nationality. And as Cornelius hears this news, himself, his family, his relatives, his friends, and his servants, as they're listening, their hearts are open to grasp, and they believe Peter's message, and they repent, and they believe in Jesus. And while Peter is speaking these words, and before he's even finished, the Holy Spirit comes and falls upon the Gentiles who hear this message. Again, we do not understand. I'm, I'm trying to get us there. Like I'm, gonna try, I'm trying to help us put ourselves in that room, in that culture. But this is like, this has never happened. There was a, 
a prejudice that this couldn't happen and it shouldn't happen. And what happens is it says that this small group of Jewish Christians, right there, it refers to them as circumcised believers because they were circumcised because they were Jewish. This small group of Jewish Christians alongside Peter who had come with him, it says that they were astonished. Literal translation, absolutely amazed that the gift of the Spirit was being poured out even on the Gentiles whom they had regarded as uncircumcised outsiders that the gospel wasn't for. Peter seeing this, right again, they're in Cornelius' home. The Holy Spirit falls upon them. They start speaking in tongues. The, the Jewish believers are losing their minds. I can't believe this is happening. Peter was quick to draw this, this, this inevitable deduction. Since God had accepted these Gentile believers, which indeed he had, the church must accept them too. Again, this was revolutionary. Peter didn't grow up this way. This was going against tradition. This is going against what he was taught and what he had, once he had known. He's growing. He's learning this. He's figuring this out before his eyes. And furthermore, at the end of this, at end of chapter 10, Cornelius, again, we don't understand the significance, but I'm going to try to draw it out for us. Cornelius, a Gentile, asked Peter, Jew, to stay with him for a few days. Okay. Why did he do that? Well, it was probably just to get to know him and to learn more about Jesus and the gospel and be taught all that this meant. But Peter said, yes, I'm going to stay in the same house as you. Being traditionally and ethnically Jewish, I'm going to stay with you Gentile. This acceptance by Peter to these Gentiles' hospitality demonstrated the new Jewish-Gentile solidarity which Christ had established. Like, step back and go, wow, this is a turning point in, the, in, in Christianity. Up to this point, everyone thus far, right, were, were, were Jewish that had been saved. The followers of Jesus, the early church up to this point, were Jewish ethnically that came to know Jesus as the Messiah. But now, in Caesarea, with Cornelius and his family, the gospel had just spread to Gentiles. The gospel was open up to spread to the rest of the world. And so... I'm just going to finish by reading the first 18 verses of Acts chapter 11. Hope you're still with me. It's pretty profound and it affects us as well. Uh, verse 1 of Acts chapter 11 says this. He explains his actions to the church of, of what's happened. So the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem... The circumcised believers, ethnically Jewish, religiously Jewish, they criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Right? Here's this racial prejudice. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. He unpacks it. He explains what had just happened in Acts chapter 10. 
And, and, and he says this. He says, I was in the city of Joppa praying in, in a trance or a I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven and by its four corners. And when it came down, there it was. There I was. I looked in and saw four-footed animals on the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, and he had, uh, as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift that he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could not stand in God's way? When they heard this, there was no further objections and praise God saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Okay, I'm almost done. You're with me. You're doing great, I hope. Uh, so what happened was, is that this news, that Peter was in the house of a Gentile, that these Gentiles got saved, the Holy Spirit fell on them. I mean, this was a big deal. News had spread, and the rest of the church, the rest of the apostles and uh, the church throughout Judea heard about it, and Peter goes to back to Jerusalem and kind of explains, like has some explaining to doing, so to speak. And it's understandable that the, the apostles were hesitant because this was such a big deal. This didn't happen. It wasn't supposed to happen. This culturally and religiously and, and racially did not happen. And it's really disturbed them, right? Being Jewish by ethnicity and culture, being circumcised believers, they criticized Peter at first. How could you do this? And what Peter does is he recaps everything in the precisely as it happened and how he and they, um, well, how they would come, but how Peter specifically, how his own racial and religious prejudices was overcome. And largely, he shared this vision with them. And this vision would have been significant because it would have, in the same way that it was powerful for him, it would have been powerful for them, right? This whole vision, um, he included it. He, it was repeated three times. Uh, he, he explains what happened. And he, he specifically explains how God said that if I've made something clean, then you shouldn't think of it as unclean. The distinctions that we've made, God says, they are not supposed to be any longer. And as one commentator put it, the sheet that Peter saw is the church, which should contain all races and all classes without distinction at all, even though this full message only dawned on Peter later. 
but he explains all the events after the vision that we just saw in 10. He, he, he sets the scene, but he drives it home by telling him, but guys, listen up. You may not believe the vision. You may not understand that God says there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile, but you're not going to believe it. When I was preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell on them. And the Holy Spirit came on them the same way it came on us. In other words, that moment in Cornelius' home was the Gentile Pentecost in Caesarea, corresponding with the Jewish Pentecost in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 that all these believers had experienced firsthand. Again, God's intention by doing all of this with Cornelius and with Peter was to powerfully confront and dismantle Jewish racial prejudice. Right? And together, all these experiences demonstrated that God had now welcomed believing Gentiles into his family on equal terms with believing Jews. And Peter was convinced. And by presenting the evidence to the church here in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church was convinced. And it says that there was no further objections. Literally, they remained silent and praised God. They heard this news. They couldn't believe it. But they praised God. They accepted it. As F.F. F. Bruce neatly puts it, their criticism, which they started out with, how could you do that? ceased. Their criticism ceased and their worship began. And they had good reason to glorify God, they concluded, because God had granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. So how does this speak to us today? What's our takeaway? I think we can already understand the importance of it. Right? Those of us that are not ethnically Jewish, we're sharing in this. Those of us that are Gentiles, we share in this. We're a part of this significant time in church history. But how does this speak to us today? How is this relevant? Well, the fundamental right, emphasis of the Cornelius story is that since God does not make distinctions in his new society, and we have no liberty to make them either, Right? Yet tragically, uh, the church has never completely learned this truth um, of its own unity and equality to its members in Christ. And I think we have this, we sometimes can have this misguided idea that just because we're Christians, that automatically we don't struggle with this kind of thing. Right? We don't struggle with thinking this way or treating people differently, especially other believers. But again, as we see that, that it was just Peter's upbringing, it was in his environment and the people that he was around, it was his culture, had created this racial and ethnic prejudice towards others. It wasn't purposeful. Maybe he didn't even really think about it. That's just the way it was. He grew up into this environment where all of a sudden he realized, oh my goodness, I'm being biased. I'm making distinction. I'm being partial to one group of people other uh, than the other. And God does not do that. And if God doesn't do that, I shouldn't do it either. 
But I think sometimes we have this idea that because we're Christians that automatically we're not going to struggle. But I think it is something that we really need to be mindful of and aware of because we probably might not even have an awareness that we are treating people differently. And it might just be because of our upbringing or, or, or whatever it was, just like Peter. And even though Peter learned this here in Acts chapter 10 and 11, Despite all that happened here, uh, it didn't mean that he didn't continue to struggle and need to be corrected and refined in this area. Because even um, shortly, which we'll see in Antioch, Peter actually withdrew from fellowship um, with believing Gentiles. And he publicly was opposed by Paul because of it. And even then, um, even after that, the circumcised Jews... Uh, that were Jesus' followers, continued this prejudice. And the Council of Jerusalem, which we'll see in Acts chapter 15, had to come in and settle this issue. It wasn't one and done. They didn't just learn it and all of a sudden uh, all these ingrained prejudices went away. It was They were a work in progress. And if we know anything about church history, unfortunately, uh, we've struggled with this. Um, the same ugly sin of discrimination has kept reappearing in the church um, in the form of racism, that's, that's color prejudice, or nationalism, my country, right or wrong, uh, tribalism in Africa, uh, casteism in, in India, social and cultural snobbery, uh, or sexism, discrimination against women. Like, it, it's, it's plagued the church over the centuries. And like Peter the leaders of the early church were not immune to this. And we're not also. We're not immune to it. Um, And especially in our climate right now, this racially tense climate, we may or most likely might be unaware of our cultural biases we probably have, Um, whether it's ethnic or racial or national towards other people. But my exhortation like Peter, is for us to learn that God does not show favoritism and allow the Holy Spirit to really do that heart work in us. That we would view and treat others the same in the eyes of God, that none of us, that, that none, no one would be elevated or viewed any less or any more, but to really understand that the gospel is for everyone. And the good news is, is that the gospel is to be a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, and multi-cultural gospel. Again, we may or may not know that we have some deficiencies, we have some struggles. And if you were going to ask Peter, Peter, do you think this is you? He might have said, no, 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 this is just how I grew up. This is just how it is. But God so sweetly reminded him, no, the gospel is for everyone. There is no favoritism. There is no partiality. And I want to encourage us the same to say, God, check my heart. God, would you show me if there's anything in me like Peter or like, or like my brothers and sisters before me that have struggled? God, I'm not immune to this. I'm not, guys. You aren't. We all aren't immune to treating people differently. And so, guys, in this, in, in this time right now, in your Ohana groups this week, maybe with your families. Let's dedicate these things to prayer. God, make me more like you. God, help me 
to become more like you. Let me treat people the way you would treat people. Give me your eyes. And be excited because next week we're going to look at the church in Antioch, which becomes this, the first multi-ethnic, multicultural church. It's pretty exciting. But without further ado, let's pray. Let's worship the Lord. Let's commit ourselves to the Lord and ask to be more like him. Amen? Amen. God, thank you. Thank you that you are your God. And thank you, Lord, that you don't pick favorites, that you don't elevate some and degrade others, that you unconditionally love all of us the same. And God, uh, we live in a fallen world. There's been a lot of messiness, even from your own church, from the leaders of your church. There was prejudice. There was an elevation of one people or the, over the other. And God, we want what you want. And so in our context, in our culture, with who you've made us, God, we want to be like you. We want our church to be like you. We want uh, the gospel that we preach to be one that is for all people. We want our church to be one that is for all people. And so God, we pray that you would anoint this time of worship. We love you, Lord. Be exalted in our homes. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.